This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. We're in the book of Jude. We come today to verse number 17. Jude, verse number 17. Before we read verse number 17, I want to I want to remind you what Jude wrote in verse number three. When he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. In this expression, Jude says, I am, I was beginning this letter as I thought about it, as the Holy Spirit impressed me to write it to you. I desired to write to you concerning the blessings of salvation, the joy of it, the common salvation and all that's involved in it. The Spirit of God has directed me to address a very urgent matter. And that is that you should earnestly contend for the faith. This is a wake-up call that Jude is giving here in verse number 3. He is alerting us to the danger. He's alerting us that we are embroiled in the battle, that the war for truth is raging. And as long as we are seeking to Walk in truth. Uh, Satan is there to counterfeit with error. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. And he is at work from the very earliest age until the last age to deceive and to lie and to tear down in this war against the truth. We find in verse number four that there are certain men crept in unawares. Here uh, he begins to reveal to us the enemy. And the thing about the enemy is that he doesn't appear to be the enemy. He has crept in subtly under the radar. He, he, he doesn't come in with a, a pitchfork and horns in his head. He comes in maybe with a suit or a, a Bible tucked under his arm and a warm smile and he's very deceiving, but he's warring against the truth. Eventually he'll be unmasked. We'll know him as he is exposed by his tactics. And then we see that the ungodly in the book of Jude is among us, that this enemy is characterized by his ungodly ways. And so after taking great pains to reveal to us that we're in a war and reveal to us who the enemy is and how he operates, we come to verse number 17. The Bible says, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken uh, before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, 
having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your word. And as we come together around it, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher. We pray that you would arrest our attention, remove from our minds the thoughts that distract. We pray, Lord, that the work of Satan would not be done in our hearts and minds to snatch the seed of the word of God from us. We pray that the word of God would fall on fertile soil. We pray that we would receive it, that we would respond to it and obey to it. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower me and enable me, Holy Spirit. Fill me with thyself. Help me to communicate the message of your word. We pray that Christ would be exalted in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. To do something earnestly, as Jude admonished us to earnestly contend for the faith. To do something earnestly means to do so with sincere and intense conviction. Conviction is something that we're short of today. Conviction is something that you cannot just pass off. It is something that you cannot allow uh, to slide by. Conviction is something that is deeply held to. And Jude is writing uh, to the believers saying, in the midst of this struggle, you are to earnestly contend. You are to contend with conviction for the faith. I think conviction is something that few in our present day possess. Today we have a brand of casual pop culture Christianity, which fails to produce enough conviction in the hearts of people to lead them to make a commitment to attend church faithfully, or to give sacrificially, or to serve willingly and humbly. Uh, we've traded conviction for convenience. In other words, if it fits my schedule, I might make it. If I have enough money at the end of the month, I may give the church a little. <laughs> that is the attitude of so many. Uh, but to ask them to contend for the faith, that's asking a lot. But my friends, if we do not contend for the faith, what will happen in the next generation? What truth will they have? What about our children? What about our grandchildren? We see that evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, do we not? So what are we to do while evil men and seducers wax worse and worse? We are to continue in the things which we have learned. And so may God help us to continue. When we stand before the Lord as the as the record of the Tabernacle Baptist Church is read, what will it matter what other churches have done? 
You see, we don't give account for other churches. We give account for ourselves. What, ma- what will it matter what others have done? We don't give an account for others. We give an account for ourselves, our families, our homes, our children. May God help us to be faithful to him, to earnestly contend for the faith. So what does that mean? What does that look like? How is it that I am to contend for the faith? As a wife, as a mother, as a young person, as a father, as an employee or an employer, as a Christian, what can I do? How can I earnestly contend for the faith? I'm not going to get in the pulpit, you say. I'm not going to go to a seminary. So how do I contend for the faith? Well, Jude tells us how. And there are five things we need to do as we contend for the faith. And I hope you'll write them down. Number one. Remember. Remember. Notice again in verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. I think about when the disciples would hear the Lord Jesus say something and they didn't quite understand it. If you read the gospel records You see that. And then the Bible adds this little line of commentary. But after he was glorified, they remembered this. Or they remembered that it was written of him. Have you come across those kind of passages as you read through the gospel according to John? At the moment, it didn't dawn on them. But later on, when they saw him in his resurrected state, they remembered that he said that. Or they remembered that it was written of him. You see, the Bible here is, is, is teaching us. Jude is teaching us as the Holy Spirit leads him. Uh, he is teaching us that there are some things that we don't need to forget. There's some things that we need to remember. And when we remember, it sparks in us a confidence in the word of God. And not only does it it spark in us a confidence of prophecies fulfilled in the past, it gives us a confidence as we go forward in the future. I mean, we can't believe what we're seeing take place on our television screens. And we might say to ourselves, how in the world did we ever get here? How did things actually get to this point? Well, the Bible tells us things are going to get to this point. In fact, the Bible tells us it's going to get worse. The Bible tells us that the Antichrist is preparing to come on the scene. And the Bible reveals to us that people are going to be conditioned to receive him. And we see that taking place in our nation. Some have asked me, do you think the coronavirus is in Bible prophecy? Well, I don't think it directly is, no. I believe there's going to be a time, though, when we have pestilence on this earth like the world has never seen, and coronavirus doesn't even begin to compare to what we're going to see. But I will tell you what coronavirus has revealed, that people in mass numbers can be controlled. And that people are being conditioned to receive the Antichrist. There's no doubt about that. And we know that the Lord is coming soon. And if we read through the book of Jude, we understand what's happening in our nation. They speak evil of dignities. In their rebellion and in their rage, they rage against authority. Well, we see it happening. And we we get troubled about it, and I get troubled about it, and you're troubled about it. 
But I'm reminded that God said it would happen. And that gives me confidence going forward that what he has said has come true and what he said will come true and I can move forward in faith believing him. And so I need to remember because if I forget, I become indifferent, I become apathetic. But if I remember, then I'm ready to respond. And the Bible says that we are to be ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that lieth within us. So we're to remember, he says, how that they, verse 18, told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. There's their motive. Their agenda is to fulfill their ungodly desires. We live in an age of such misinformation, fake news. You've heard that phrase so many times. We live in an age of an explosion of information. The Bible says in the last days, the knowledge shall be increased. And we see knowledge being increased exponentially at an increasing rate. That's exactly what that passage means. There's more knowledge than you can possibly, possibly disseminate and sort through. But so much of it is false and unimportant. So what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We forget about that and we get to the truth. Amen. That doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand, but that means we get our hearts and heads in the Bible. And that keeps our heart and mind. If not, if not, I'm just going to be honest with you. I would be so frazzled and torn up by what I'm seeing, I couldn't keep my sanity. But if not for the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that's where I would be. And that's where most of us would be. And so we need to remember. He says, when they show up, I want you to know who they are. And I want you to know that the apostles told you it was going to happen. Now, notice verse 19. These be they. <laughs> in other words, they were right there in front of them. Now, what are, they, what are they doing? How do we know who they are? Well, first of all, he says, they separate themselves. That means they're divisive. They're divisive. They like to divide. You know, Jesus talked about the fowls of the, of the air that come underneath the branches, the branches of faith that have grown up. Think about the institutions in our nation that were started by people of faith. Think about, uh, think, think about the churches and the Christians who started hospitals and, 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 and colleges and, and seminaries and, and the organizations that are loved and admired in our nation that were started by Christian people. I want to tell you, those branches of faith grew up, but the fowls of the air came and dwelt on those branches. And what did they do? They began to tear down. They began to destroy. They are divisive. Then he says they're sensual. These be they who separate themselves sensual. The word sensual means governed by the soul. This is not speaking about the soul of a redeemed man. This is the soul of a natural man in his sinful condition. The soul is the seat of our intellect, our emotions, and our will. The candle of the soul or the light of the soul is the spirit. And when there is no spiritual life, the life of God, then there is no light. The Lord Jesus is the life and he is the light. When you take the light out of the soul of man, his soul is dark. His thoughts are dark. His emotions are dark. His will is dark. And we see that being played out, don't we? He says they're divisive and they're sensual and they have not the spirit of God. And the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that we are to try the spirits. 
Have you ever been around somebody and there's something's not right? You maybe can't put your finger on it. Or they say something and it's just not right. And you can't even put your finger on it. But there's just something there. that The Bible teaches us that we're to try the spirits. And the spirit bears witness. And if our spirit doesn't bear witness, if we have the Holy Ghost and, and we don't bear witness with somebody that they are a believer, that they're walking in truth, then we need to, we need to be aware. Remember, these guys have crept in unawares. On the, on the exterior, they look just like us. They, they use the same lingo. But in their heart, they don't know God. And this remembrance promotes readiness. John Phillips said this. He said, no apostasy could exist if not for apathy. In other words, if we, didn't wake, if, if we weren't lazy and sleepy, if we weren't indifferent... Then, then we wouldn't have seen this happen. And if this church ever gets lazy and indifferent, then they'll creep in and divide it and lead it astray. And so as we're reminded here, as we remember here, it promotes a readiness, a watchfulness in our hearts. So number one, if I'm going to earnestly contend, I must remember. Secondly, if I'm going to earnestly contend, I must build. Build. Notice verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Now, when I think about a contender, I think about a heavyweight boxer. You know, he's the, he's the leading contender. He's the number one contender for the heavyweight title. And he's going to face the champion. Now, nobody's going to go in as a contender to face the champion unless he's been building himself up. Unless he has for months been eating right, training his body working on his footwork and his agility, working on his strength and his power, unless he has built himself up, he is not going to go into the ring. And if he does go into the ring and he has not built himself up, in round one, when the bell rings and the first punch lands, he's going down. If he's fortunate enough to make it through a round or two because he hasn't built himself up, He's going to give out. He's going to be tired. He's going to be weary. Uh, when I was a boy, there was a time when some of me and, and, and my friends, we decided to take up boxing, and we bought boxing gloves, and we'd get out in the front yard, and we would box each other. And uh, I remember one day I had to go in the house, and somebody hit me in the nose, and my nose is bleeding. My mom is, is really frantic about it. And I said, we're going to be okay, Mom. We're just boxing. <laughs> And here's what I remember about boxing. I was tired. I was tired. It takes a lot to contend. So if we're going to contend, we have to build ourselves up. Now, building is intentional. It is active. It is a constructive process. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen sitting on the couch. It doesn't happen sitting in front of the television. It is an intentional, active process. Now, I want to tell you something. The Bible said you're to build up yourself. Do you see that? Look at it again in verse 20. But ye beloved, read these next three words with me. Are you ready? Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. What is that? That's the truth of God's word. 
We are built upon the foundation of the, the uh, prophets and the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're built on the word of God. I'm to build myself up in the faith, in the truth of God's word. If I'm going to contend for the faith, if I'm going to contend for the truth, I've got to take in the truth. I've got to build myself up on it. Okay? So, how do I do it? Well, I've, I've got to do it intentionally, and I've got to do it myself. Now, look, you can't build somebody else up. You can encourage them. You can try to exhort them. But you have to build yourself up. In other words, I can't build you up. I can preach to you and, and try to edify you and encourage you and exhort you. And, and that's a part of building up yourself. You're here to be built up. But you're to build up yourself. That means you have to get in the Bible yourself. There is no substitute in the Christian life for that. If we're not disciplined enough, if we don't love the Lord enough, if we don't love his word enough to desire to get into it, then we're not going to be able to contend. We're going to fall in the first round. And so may God help us to learn to build up ourselves. Now, how do we do it? Well, we can read the word of God and, and that there's no substitute for it. How did God choose to speak to us? Through the written word. That requires me to read it. I cannot be a serious Christian and not read God's word. To meditate upon it, to think about what it says. Not just simply to read it and say, I got my, 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 my list is done for the day. No, but to meditate. What is God saying in this passage? What is he saying to me? To memorize it, to study it. And the opportunities today to do so abound, don't they? One of the things we've learned through all of this situation is how, how the media can be a great tool to proclaim the message of the gospel. You know, we've had people from across the country and the world watching services, people who've trusted the Lord as their Savior as a result of this. What a glorious thing it is. And I think it's helped us realize we need to do more of this, not less of this. There are all kinds of tools through the media, through Christian books. You know, the believers in, in Jews' day, they didn't have Christian books, but we do. Let's find good books to help us. We have the Bible. Let's read it. They didn't have a completed New Testament, but we do. We have a church to attend, so let's attend it. We have a Sunday school class where the Word of God is taught, so let's build ourselves up by being there. You see, all of these things have been given to us to allow us to build ourselves up. Think about this. Think about how our lives would be and what our church would be if we spent as much thought, as much resources, as much energy on building up ourselves and our soul and our faith as we do in building up our bank account or our investment portfolio or our reputation or our career or our hobbies, if we spent time building our soul, think of what it would be like. So if I'm going to contend earnestly, number one, I have to remember. Number two, I have to build. Number three, I have to pray. I have to pray. Notice again in verse number 20, are you, are you there with me? But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. What's the next word, church? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Why is it that prayer is such a difficult practice? Do you struggle praying? You know, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. As your pastor, I find it easier to preach than it is to pray. 
I find it easier to study than to pray. I, I, I find it easier to have staff meetings and make decisions and administrate and visit hospitals. And, and even I find it easier to pray with people in hospitals and in difficult situations than to just get along with God myself and pray. Why is that? Because the devil resists us in prayer. S.D. Gordon wrote and said that prayer is the realm of spiritual warfare. Think about that. Prayer is the realm of spiritual warfare. When we engage God in prayer, we're also engaging the devil in spiritual conflict. And he works against us. And by the way, our flesh does too, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples couldn't watch and pray. Why? They got tired. They got weary. They, they fell asleep. You ever fall asleep when you're praying? I have. And prayer is the most difficult area in my own Christian life. But the Bible tells me I can pray in the Holy Ghost. Now, that's a big statement. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Ghost? Well, if I read the book of Romans, I find out that I don't know how to pray as I ought. By the way, I already knew that, but I'm glad, I'm glad it's written there. There are times when, when something's on my heart and, and I just don't know how to express it. There are times maybe when I'm so burdened, I can't even find the words. I, I can just groan. The Bible uses that term. There are times when my mind is so distracted, I, I can't even keep my thoughts focused enough to even communicate to God what I really want him to do. There are times when I'm physically tired. You see, all of these things happen to us on the battlefield of prayer. And the Bible teaches me that in my infirmities, the Holy Spirit is my aid. He helps my infirmities. Boy, I need help. Do you? I need help in my prayer life. I'm glad I have the help of the Holy Spirit. He's my comforter. He's my helper. He's my teacher. He's my intercessor. You know what the Bible teaches us here? It teaches us that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. In other words, when I can't communicate sufficiently to God what's on my heart, what the need is, when I don't even know what the need is, the Bible says the Holy Spirit interprets and intercedes for me. He interprets the groanings of my heart. He communicates those to the Father and the Father. He knows the will of the Father and he matches those two things up. And I have the privilege of learning to pray in the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit. And so when you get up off your knees and you say, I don't know if I got anything accomplished. Let me tell you, you prayed in the Holy Ghost and he's the one going to do the accomplishing and you can trust him. Now we have to do it, don't we? Think about the battles Israel won in prayer. I think about the children of Israel as they were going to face the Philistines and they had lost many battles to the Philistines and they were so troubled about it and they were so fearful and they said to Samuel, Samuel, pray for us. Pray for us as we go into battle. They weren't trusting in their army. They weren't trusting in their strength. They were trusting in God. And the Bible says that Samuel prayed and God gave the victory. I want to tell you we'll have no victory without prayer. Now, Jesus has won the victory. We don't fight for it. We fight from it. But we won't experience and realize it unless we learn to pray. 
When Joshua and the men were on the battlefield against the Amalekites, where was Moses? He was up on the mountain, hands raised to the heavens in intercessory prayer, and God gave the victory. What are we to do in this hour? Well, we need to do something. We need to get busy. I mean, we need to start something. No, we need to pray. And may God help us to pray. Your family will not be what it needs to be unless you're learning to pray. Your Christian life will be one sad saga of defeat after defeat after defeat unless you learn to pray. You will never be an effective witness. You'll never bring anybody to Jesus unless you learn to pray. And our church will not stand and will not flourish unless God's people learn to pray. We'll see no revival in our land unless we learn to pray. You say, so how, how do I contend? Well, he's telling us, right? Number one, remember, be ready. Number two, build. Build yourself up. Number three, pray. Number four, notice it if you would in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I think to understand this, it would be good for us to think about the illustration that is given to us in the Bible. The best illustrations are biblical illustrations. And in the Bible, we have the story of a man who had two sons. And his son, one of his sons came to him and he said, Father, uh, I'm, I've, I've been living here in the house for a while and I've, I've, I've enjoyed everything, but I'm ready to get out here and I hear things in the far country are really good. And, and sometimes, you know, people pass by from the far country and they tell me how great it is. And I'd like to go out there to the far country. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to give me everything in my inheritance and I'm just going to head off to the far country. And so the father gives him his inheritance and he goes off into the far country. And the Bible says that there in the far country, he wasted his substance with riotous living. Hey, the party life. I, I'm going to get out from underneath this holy living. I'm, I'm going to get out from underneath these rules. And I'm going to get out from underneath the, my father's watchful eye. And I'm going to get out here and I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. How many times has that happened? Sometimes it happens multiple times in a day. You see, the father never stopped loving his son. The father never forsook his son, but the son forsook his father. You see, that father loved his son, and he longed for him. He longed for his return, and he looked for his return. But that boy, as long as he was in the far country, he, he was loved by his father, but he wasn't kept in the realm of his father's love. He made the decision to go outside of the realm of his father's love. You see, while he was in the father's house, he enjoyed the protection of his father's love and he enjoyed the provision of his father's love. But when he went into the far country, he was on his own. And when the money ran out, his friends ran out. And he took a job feeding the hogs on the farm. Have you ever had to feed the hawks? And this boy not only had to feed them, he didn't have any money, so he had to eat what the hogs ate. How would you like that? 
And the Bible said there came a point when he came to himself and he said, the servants in my father's house have plenty to eat. They're well taken care of. They have nice clothes. I think I'm going to go home and be a servant. Well, he went home, not as a servant, but as a son, his father received him. He put on him a robe and cleaned him up and killed the fatted calf. And they had a wonderful feast together and a great time of rejoicing. And that boy, he learned after that to keep himself in the love of his father. You see, there's a pull. There's a pull that the world has on us, isn't it? There's a pull that the far country, it looks appealing. It looks great. But when we get there, we find out it's not what we thought, and then we find out how hard it is to break free. Would God that we would learn to keep ourselves in the love of God, that these boys and these girls in this church would learn to keep themselves in the love of God so they never have to experience what it's like in the pig pen. May God help us. If we're going to contend, we have to learn to keep ourselves in the love of God. So if I'm going to contend, number one, I have to say it with me, church. I have to, I got to remember. Number two, I have to, I got to build. I got to build myself up. Number three, I have to, I have to pray. And number four, I have to keep. And lastly, I have to look. Look. The definition of faith is looking unto Jesus. We read that in Hebrews chapter 11. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Notice what Jude writes here. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You know, if the son had quit looking at the world and just kept looking to his father, if he kept looking to Jesus, he would have avoided all that trouble. What will we do in the midst of this difficult time? In, in the midst of the battle, we must learn to look to Jesus. Do you know what's missing in our land? There's no mercy. You cross, you cross these people with this agenda, you say something, even among their own. Have you noticed this? If one of their own number says something that's in conflict with their message, they will cancel you. That's what it's called, the cancel culture. Your influence is gone. They pretend you don't exist. You're no longer counted as one among them. You know what we're missing? We're missing mercy. And by the way, God's people ought to be the most merciful people on the earth. Have you not benefited from the mercy of God? Then why is it that we have such a judgmental, sometimes in a harsh spirit? May God deliver us from it. May God fill us with his love and mercy. How do we get it? By looking to Jesus. He's coming soon, and may the Lord help us to keep our gaze on him. And so here we are. We're, we're encouraged and exhorted to earnestly contend for the faith. That means to do it with conviction, friends. How's your conviction? Can you take or leave it? Are you more concerned about convenience? Then ask God to deepen your conviction. Now, how do we contend? We remember. God said it was going to happen. Now here we are. Let's be ready. Number two, by building up our soul. There is no substitute for getting alone with God and getting into the word. And we will not be healthy Christians. We will not be victorious Christians. We will not have a church that honors God unless we learn to do it. Number three.
pray. Number four, keep ourselves in the love of God. And number five, looking to Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.